0: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 103 of the Comic Book Informer. We are coming to you for the comic week of December 12th, 2012. As always, I'm Vince, along with Roger. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about these comics today.
1: Well, we're not going to talk about that just yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Before we get into that, did you hear the news DC announced uh, a couple days ago about the Birds of Prey comic? No. Mm-hmm. They have announced that starting with issue 18... Their new writer will be
0: Jim Zubkovich. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I might have talked to him recently, but he didn't tell me what he was going to be working on. He just said there was big news coming. So that's it. Oh, that is so awesome.
1: Yeah, there's been some great interviews out there talking about, you know, all of his plans for the comic, you know, what, what, what his birds are going to be. Uh, right now, he said it's still, of course, Batgirl, Black Canary, uh, Starling from the current team is staying there. And the uh, Strix, the Court of Owls assassin, is actually going to be joining the team. So interesting stuff.
0: Oh, major, major gratz, Zub. No, you definitely deserve it.
1: But, of course, the circle of life carries on and not all good news going on in D.C. land because it's so interesting because leading up well, to the announcement, you kind of knew something was up because like, on Twitter, you know, we follow them through the comic book informer account. You see uh, Zub and Gail Simone doing a lot of chatting back and forth, talk, you know, talking about how they were helping each other, you know, figure out story stuffs, And you come to find out, you know, with Zub writing Birds of Prey, a comic Gail wrote for a number of years for the new 52 you know she was just kind of helping him get a handle on the characters and giving him some ideas and he was running stuff past her since he couldn't tell anybody else about the freaking comic so he's like yeah thanks to Gail for all this and then like the next day Gail Simone announces on Twitter that she received an email from her editor telling her that she's no longer writing Batgirl ooh yeah now for those keeping score at home <laughs> that brings the number of female creators working for dc to 0. <laughs> now i'm not always one of the people who will be, you know, championing diversity for diversity's sake, you know, as long as the best person is on, you know, the comic, whether it's male, female, what have you, okay. but clearly the best person isn't on many of these dc comics yeah, as we really? pointed out. and just just to take it one step further, for the month of november Batgirl was DC's fourth highest selling comic.
0: Actually, the stuff that I'd been reading lately,
1: especially Mm -hmm. with Batgirl. I uh, I read the Death of the Family tie in and I think that's, you know, she got the sales bump because of Death of the Family, you know, but but it was good. if, if, If you're getting the sales bump because of the crossover, but then you're using it by delivering a good story and drawing in
0: new readers, you're doing it right. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, and well, see, when you're saying too diversity for diversity's sake, I, I I completely agree. However, there is a point where you can clearly see that it's a boys' club for yeah. wherever it is that we're talking about, and it's obvious that the comic books industry has been the boys' club for a very long time. And it's not fair when you're looking at the caliber of some of the writers that are are women writers that are not getting opportunities or that are being given opportunities, but they're really I mean, they're throwing them trash instead of allowing them to really shine on uh, an, an IP that has been proven to be successful. So, I mean, hand Gail off something where she can do something really good with it, and I'm sure she would, she would pull off some really good story arcs. Yeah, I mean, we
1: were not fans of Batgirl at the relaunch. We, neither one of us liked issue one. No. I, I, only, I didn't even bother with issue two. But of course, you know, Joe was always yelling at us, oh, it's gotten so much better, it's gotten so much better. So I, yeah, with the death of the family, I started reading it again, and I really enjoyed these last couple issues. Yep. Yeah, no, so now
0: right. I, I'm upset. Did they say who's taking over?
1: Uh, they said who's going to be filling in, but not who's taking over full time. Right, who's filling in? I, I don't remember okay. his name off the top of my head. I think Ray Fox is his name. So, what you're
0: saying is you didn't prepare for this? I didn't
1: prepare that much.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Ray Fox. All right. I don't even know who the hell that is. It's DC. Doesn't matter. No, seriously. <laughs> but that's something else that somebody pointed out. You know, in a little over a year of the 52 comics they started with. 30 of them have either been canceled or changed writers.
0: That's not good. No kidding. (laughs) We've been saying that since this freaking thing started. So, I mean, it's kind of obvious. Chaos, guys. It gets together.
1: (laughs) I agree. Completely agree. All right, well, on to actual comics that we're reading. Uh, we have some new number ones, uh, and not Marvel number ones, not DC number ones, but looking at uh, some of the new comics that have been coming out from the other companies. And we're starting off over in Dark Horse with Ghost. And uh, issue one actually came out back in October. Just never had a quite a chance to talk about it. It's written by Kelly Sue DeConnick uh, with art by Phil Noto. And just I really like the art in this issue yeah, while no, we're very... on that subject. yeah. And it's actually an old Dark Horse series from back in the 90s, and they kind of recently rebooted it in their Dark Horse Presents anthology that they put out every once in a while. And I guess it did well enough that they decided to bring it back as a full, ongoing comic. Unfortunately, because of that, we kind of pick up mid-story, because they started the story in the anthology with, you know, these two ghost hunters basically finding this box and summoning the spirit, and spirit ends up killing somebody, and now they're on the run, so it we we did kind of start in the middle of the story but i think they at least did a good enough job recapping that i didn't feel
0: lost jumping in midstream no no but i agree with you like what you're talking about there too like that was that happened before this issue so like when you're reading this there ain't no box they're sitting around drinking coffee <laughs> <laughs> but i will give her this she did a good job in how she told the backstory of what had happened it's not just a um a boring kind of flashback or, or it's interwoven with this interesting story from greek mythology and then interspersed with that conversations with these two losers kind of thing so i i think that yeah like you're saying it was a good job of bringing you up to speed
1: Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's all very mysterious, and we don't even know her actual name. They call they, they keep calling her Mary because that's who they were expecting to come out of the box, but obviously that's not who they ended up with. And she has no memory of herself, but she seems to have memories of the world and you know general awareness. So there's some mystery there. Uh, we have all kinds of weirdness going on with dr october and the mayor is the actual devil like there's some really crazy stuff
0: going on in here but i actually kind of enjoyed it i was kind of on the fence um just because of not because of how the story was told because i enjoyed that i enjoyed the dialogue as well um i like how a she, she does a fairly good job with her voices. Some authors, everybody sounds the same when they're talking, whereas uh, and I'm not just talking about little colloquialisms and, and sayings and things like that, but actually to make it so that you get the impression that someone sounds different in how they they their thought process is as they're speaking and whatnot. And she does a good job with that. So you get a really good sense of who these people are when they're talking kind of thing. And I, I really like that. The thing is, is that the story as a whole really didn't do that much for me though and then of course anytime you're having like you know freaking devil inside of a story there's very (laughs) that that was a bit of a uh, really (laughs) yeah exactly i think actually that was really a low point for me had it been something else it would have been like okay well that's But as soon as you toss that in, it's like I don't know. And then, of course, that the woman too, who's like freaking psychotic at the beginning, that towards the end she's like damn near crying. Is she actually crying? Because she goes from the blonde, she goes from psychotic to like timid little blonde woman. And I'm going, oh, "Oh." she's facing (laughs) off against the devil. Okay, okay, I'll (laughs) give you that. But still, Um, so I don't know. It's let me put it to you this way, like we always say, is it strong enough for me to pick up a next issue, maybe one or two to see how the story's going to go from there but i mean it's 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 borderline
1: mm-hmm. yeah there, there's it's it wasn't absolutely fantastic, it's not you know the greatest comic ever read, right? but yeah, like you said there there's enough here to keep my interest at least for a little while longer,
0: yeah and again, i can't i just to stress once again, even though I wasn't f- a huge fan of this. I can certainly appreciate Kelly Sue DeConnick's work as a writer, and we've seen that again in other stuff she's done recently. So she's the more I'm reading of her, because we're just talking about women writers and whatnot, the more I'm impressed with her the caliber of her work. Yeah, she,
1: she's really coming to her own over this past year or so. Yep,
0: yeah, definitely. All right, moving on
1: to Image. Uh, mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and that is Clone Number 1, uh, written by David Schulner, art by Juan Jose Rip and Felix Serrano. This one, I, I can't help but have that feeling of I've seen this story before. Because I'm pretty sure I have three or four times. Exactly, yes. So we start off with presumably the main character, Luke, uh, who's having dreams of himself being chased and shot at and all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Well, apparently he's kind of picking up the thought patterns of... I don't even want to call them his clones because we, we're we not sure, you know, where the original is at this point. And while, yes, it's an interesting story point, again, it's
0: nothing really new. Not at all. And that's why I, I read through the whole thing and it was like completely unfazed throughout it all. Really did not care at all. And this is definitely one that I've got next to no interest in reading any more of.
1: I, I found it really hilarious. You know, he's getting ready for work and his shot dying clone buddy, you know, stumbles into the house and he freaks out for like two panels <laughs> and then he's like, oh, you're my clone. Okay.
0: It all what, makes sense What now. next?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, that's the only obvious solution. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the, the, the stuff with the wife was
0: interesting, but, oh, you like know, you again, nothing. Coming. Come on. Not, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to abduct the pregnant wife and pretend like it's that <laughs> like it's him. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. The only hey. thing that thing that I found cute was that her iPhone had a a, a pear instead of an apple with a bite taken out of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clearly you spent more time paying attention to the details than I did. To the iPhone. That was what yeah, was interesting. Yeah, to the iPhone. I should have known. <laughs> if it was a Samsung phone you wouldn't have even noticed. Oh, please. Who cares? You wouldn't have even known there was a phone ringing. Is that an Android? Do you get reception? <laughs> oh, <laughs> me, moving on. <laughs> Although I, I did read a bit of you know his little uh, essay letter, whatever you want to call it, at the end, where he's talking about the concept for the series, and you know how everybody goes through life. You know they change. You know, they, like he says, you know, I my entire identity was I was my father my parents son and you know then i was my wife's husband and then I was my children's father you know that's always been my identity so what happens when you know in your life you find out of all the other things you could have been all the other things you could have done and that's kind of where he's going with the story of luke is seeing through all the clones all the other ways his life could have turned out and that's an interesting concept it just
0: it didn't carry through it's still nothing new I, yeah. I mean, it's I, I read it, too, and it was like, okay, but, I mean, this is the stuff that makes writers write. What if? What if? So it's nothing new that we haven't seen many times before and, I'm sad to say, done better. Mm-hmm. And I really have to say, I, I
1: really wasn't digging the art style on this. Uh, the way he used, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was Rip, uh, the way he used the actual just dots for shading, it just seemed really...
0: Yeah, but you don't like that. We've talked about that before too, and you yeah. don't like that kind of thing. Like, I don't it's, mind it's one mi- thing to
1: have shadows, but it just it was just like all dot, like everybody had freckles everywhere, and I, I
0: didn't like it. Yeah, dots and a lot of just lines, just straight mm-hmm. lines used for shading. He did that a lot. I didn't mind it, and I've said before I don't mind that as much as you do either. So,
1: it's just every once in a while I'll I'll, I'll have a comic where there's one tiny little thing thing that that just
0: pisses you off bugs me like you know it it
1: gets it gets under my skin and i i can't not
0: you know see it every time from there forward and see i look at this and i'm looking at it right now and i actually thought i'm not going to say that the art was phenomenal because it wasn't um but it was i thought it was actually good i thought the actual line work was really nice and uh the coloring is really really well done i thought Mm -hmm. so i actually liked it okay
1: so, staying with image, we're moving on to Witch Doctor Malpractice, number one, uh, written by Brandon Seifert, art by Lucas Kettner and Andy Troy. And this is, I, I think this is only a mini series. I thought I heard it was going ongoing, but I think it's still just a mini at this point. And it's uh, carrying on Witch Doctor, which premiered as a mini series last year. Did you read the original Witch Doctor mini? No. OK, I did. I absolutely loved it. And the the story follows, you know, Dr. Vincent Morrow, a self-titled occult physician. And it's this hilarious blend of Dr. Strange, House and Sherlock Holmes all crammed together into one character. And I, I just these comics are very fun for me.
0: Yeah, but you're into that stuff, too. Anything yeah, occult, that, if that it's even true. marginally good, even if it's it's marginally bad, <laughs> you're still going <laughs> to love it. So, you didn't like it? No, that's not what I said, actually. Oh, okay. okay. No, I, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't read the whole thing, though. Okay. So, because kind of last minute getting my hands on this one. Um, but what I did read, I actually did enjoy. And then as I was leafing through it, kind of thing, too, a lot of the little scenes here and there, I liked the, the deadpan approach. To some mm-hmm. of the panels especially And the art is absolutely fantastic in this I thought And, uh, and so no I kind of liked it And I've been on a uh, Doctor Strange kick as well I actually I was going to talk about it in what we've been reading Which I will I read um, the uh, what's it called Season 1 mm. uh, big anthology And really liked it So I've kind of been on that kind of kick So when I was reading this it was same kind of thing too So no I, I actually like this
1: Yeah, I I just love that they're not afraid to go big and go crazy. I mean, it starts off with them sucking this giant, you know, parasitic larva demonic possession out of a little boy. I mean, it it starts off with such a a high point and it actually carries that momentum throughout. Like even, you know, the slower scenes are just kind of standing around talking. Uh, Morrow himself is such a gloriously over the top character it's it's entertaining at any point i mean he wakes up after you know a hangover and he he's acting like it's the end of the world but and it would be something that's so easily could become slapstick but it never crosses that point here
0: yeah the characters are all fairly strong in this too so i i think that with a strong cast this series could be quite a bit of fun to read Mm
1: -hmm. and you know the big uh Malady, I guess you could call it, that he comes across at the end of this issue, is the Strigoi tongue parasite, which is a magical parasite that infects your body, eats your tongue, and replaces it with its own body, and then acts as a parasite feeding off of blood. That is what we call nightmare (laughs) fuel. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) especially when you see it on the page especially they, oh when my it's god <laughs> when it's as well drawn as this then it's <laughs> like holy crap what the hell is that thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah all right so next up still with image our, our last one from them we have nowhere men it's one that i heard an awful lot of rumblings about on twitter so i was like all right i gotta check this one out okay what were, by... on twitter, hmm? what were they saying
0: on twitter though what were they saying on twitter they were just saying great new comic. Check okay. it out. Okay. All right. Well, no, you didn't say that part. I was asking. I didn't know. No, sorry. Freaking defensive, aren't we? <laughs> Jeez.
1: Written by Eric Stevenson, art by Nate Belgard and Jordi Bellar. I, I apologized to her. <laughs> and uh, uh, with all the high praise, I actually didn't really enjoy this one that much. I mean, it, it was too many different things going on that never quite came together like at the beginning you see you know the young scientists banding together to change the future okay i'm with that and then you see you know years later it's basically become a corporate operation and i'm like okay you know i can see you know that although i gotta say having six pages of the first issue of your comic dedicated to three guys arguing in a boardroom not a very good call in my opinion and then it skips to this entire separate story of these infected people up on a space station all kinds of weird you know physical trauma that's going on and that part was actually interesting <laughs> i just don't know how it ties in with everything else that's going on
0: the, the comic was all over the place. I mean, it's really, it was everything was all over the place. I, um, the characters were not engaging, nearly engaging enough. Like they, they were almost like stereotypes of what they should be that type of character, these mm-hmm. four different genius types, you know, and they all have to be eccentric or, or bizarre in one way or another. And, um, and so I kind of wasn't, we already have the new Hellfire Club and Wolverine and the X-Men. We don't need you guys. Yeah, really. And they do it a lot better. So um so no, I the cast right from the get-go, their little write-up, you're like, ah, oh, great. And uh and then it skips immediately to well, the fight first with the amethyst gorilla. The gorilla thing, thing they, was pretty cool, I'll give you yeah, that. And uh and then you get the guys in the boardroom, which was just long drawn It felt out. like it went on forever, and then I went back and counted, and I was like, that was only six pages? <laughs> Four, five, six, yeah, six pages, but god damn, it was long. It was just, and it wasn't needed. You didn't need all of that, and then it, and then there's it, no... It was,
1: it was all, like, circular logic of them just, you know, raising the same points repeatedly, and, like, nobody was agreeing, and, or dis, even disagreeing. They were just talking at each other instead of to
0: each other. It, it, nah. And then there's no transition between that and the space station. It's just boom. Well, the transition is a freaking logo page into tomorrow. And then that's it. So there's no explanation of how this ties in, why it ties in. And then the same thing at the very, very end. Um, there's the, again, the fake interview with one of the geniuses. So... There's another aspect of the story, again, that's from left field that doesn't tie in at all. So you're left with like all these loose ends that you're either going to have to try to make sense of or wait until they make sense of it for you. I, and again, I just, I didn't think that the characters were strong enough. Ford, the main characters and and even then the main characters aren't even in like half the freaking comic books the main guys i don't are even set know up. who the main characters are at this point well <laughs> i would assume it's the four guys the four geniuses that they do so much setup work on but then all in the space station it's a whole bunch of other yahoos so now nah, i wasn't digging this i gotta tell you they see maybe if they had kept
1: the space station part and you know intercut that instead of just having a second half of the comic with the boardroom discussion where they're actually talking about what's going on in the space station that would have at least had flow it would have had pacing it wouldn't have just been separate stories crammed together with some clever little gimmicks making making it look you know nifty if you will
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, but, I, I didn't like it and, and I didn't the, like the art either. By
1: the end of the first issue, the exact words I said to myself were, why would I read
0: this when I have the Manhattan Project? Yeah. And well, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking too. They, like, here's one that's doing it well, and here's this other one. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So for our final comic, we're coming back around to Dark Horse for the newly released Hellboy in Hell, number one, uh, written with art as well by Mike Mignola. As I mentioned last week, uh, this is actually the first time he's done primary art on Hellboy in a number of years. And then uh, a color work by Dave Stewart. And I'll I'll be honest, I haven't read a Hellboy comic in years. Yeah, I haven't one time, yeah. I didn't feel like I missed any great amount of time jumping back into this, but I I loved a lot of those old Hellboy comics, and and even the movies were were great. Like, if you see the movies, you can pretty much pick up this comic and be okay with it. That said, not much really happened in the comic. He's dead now because he fought a dragon, and, and even Hellboy can't live when you're fighting a dragon. And, well, when you are kind of a prince of hell, that's sort of where you go when you die. But uh, as we've seen in other things, and that's also where all the people that you've pissed off end up. And so, you know, you just have your your action adventure bit where, you know, this one old enemy is trying to chase him down. And he's trying to run away. It had nice action. It had those little bits of humor that have always made Hellboy interesting. What's different is, at least for me, this is the first time I've ever read a single issue of a Hellboy And I think I I enjoy the stories much better as a collection, as a volume. I I just think Mignola's writing style lends itself better to the the larger reading portions.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. This was all set up in in atmosphere. That's all this was. You you get the atmosphere of where he is. You get the setup of some of the setup of what it is and some of the cast members. Um, But overall, there's really not... A lot going on here mm-hmm. at all, so i I'm going to wait and see where it goes, but it's it wasn't that strong in and of itself yeah no, I will say it's nice to come back
1: to the Hellboy style because even after all these years of being such an iconic comic, nothing else still looks like hellboy yeah where 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 it, they kind of take the old uh, Batman. Batman Batman animated series approach where they start with black and then go from there instead of the other way around. And it just it works. Mignola's style is so iconic to him. Like, I don't even know if anybody else has even tried to to mimic it because I've never seen anything that even comes close to his style.
0: Nobody does it quite as well. They might have tried to mimic it, but not quite as well.
1: (laughs) They tried to mimic it and it didn't. It still didn't look anything like him. (laughs) But that's not to say it was bad. Just like I said, from experience, it'll probably work better as a longer story than one issue at a time. Yep, I agree. Okay, so not a a, a rounding success uh, here with the number ones, but it's still nice every now and then to look at something different, especially right now. Marvel and DC are doing such huge things every week. Sometimes you got to stop and look at look at the guys in between. And that kind of brings me to my first What We're Reading. As I talked about a couple weeks ago when I was talking about uh, Archer and Armstrong, I was like, I'm going to take a second look at, you know, the Valiant comics. I, I may have prejudged them too harshly. So I picked up the uh, latest issue of Exo War, issue seven, I think it was. And to their credit, I didn't feel lost because I read issue one and then jumped straight to issue seven. But that's also because the story it, it, it's very simple. It, it, it's not that hard to catch up. It. I don't want to say it was bad. It was just, it was very average. And you can tell. Can I say it was bad? Because I read it. I'll say it oh, was bad if oh, you don't want to. Okay. Go, go, go ahead. <laughs> it was bad. There you go. By all <laughs> means, keep going. <laughs> you, you can tell, like, man, this was something that was originally envisioned in the 90s because one of the main characters is a ninja named Ninjak. Like uh, uh, You know, it it's okay to bring something back from a different time and as we have discussed, the nineties were definitely a different time when we we're in comics comics land. But you can update it a bit. <laughs> you can you can, you know, bring it into the modern age, but it, it ultimately it was it was still very forgettable. Yes. Mm. I will try one of the other series at some point, though. But still enjoying Archer and Armstrong. Nothing bad to say about them.
0: You know what? I still haven't read that. I have it. I (laughs) I have to read the damn thing.
1: It's kind of hard to pick that up when you have have other good stuff. Is uh, Ultimate X-Men. And I know we just... I keep talking about the Ultimate stuff because it seems like every week there's something huge going on in the Ultimate line. And I I just really enjoy the direction they're going with here. Uh, As we saw at the end of the whole... uh, United we stand, divided we fall, Bit, basically the X-Men have become their own independent nation. And I love how they're kind of mimicking a lot of things that happened in Uncanny X-Men when they started at the island, even jokingly calling their little reservation Utopia. But the characters are very different. You know, we have Kitty Pride in charge instead of Scott Summers, and I find it a lot harder to hate Kitty than I do Scott. And it's just so nice that for the first time in... Ages in Ultimate X-Men, we actually have mutants. You know, other than the three or four we've been following around, there's actually a cast of mutant characters for the first time in a long time, and that alone has me interested. But the way they're establishing them, how they they kind of picked ultimate versions of various characters from throughout you know X history. You have you know uh, Warpath from the, the New Mutants, uh, and you know you still have Armor, who's you know one of the newer characters, and um, what's his name? Quentin Choir and so mixing old characters, new characters, while still introducing brand new characters, at least to me. I mean, these could be some totally obscure X Men I've never heard of before. But it it's all coming together and it's making
0: something that I'm actually interested in reading. The only thing that I would say is that the um, the only problem that I'm seeing is that they whittled down the cast of mutants way yeah. too small. Um, so they had this monstrous cast before, and then far too many of them decided down to down go to what, for like the twelve, if that. Yeah. It's yeah. a very small bunch of mutants that are now starting this utopia, and I think that part of the thing with the x-men has always been that it's you know there there are a lot of mutants so it it's all right to have a large cast with them and you don't have to feel like they're not getting the attention they deserve or whatever you can freely flip between the character characters easy enough and and readers of x titles understand that after all these years and and are okay not, not just okay but like that
1: no, I, I'll agree. I remember when they said that there was only you know however many left. I was like, that's it?
0: it there was, you know, thousands of
1: them. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I I am still on board with it though. I'm interested to in see where it goes.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I just again that's that's kind of nagging at me right now because mm-hmm. it's it's also a writing thing where you're thinking, okay, well, is he using that as a writing tool so that he has a much smaller cast to work with, or is it that they they want to create something we're in it's it's shocking how many of them would have gone to get that cure but then having read through it and seen everything that they fought for yes there'd be a large number of them that would go for the cure but i can't foresee that there'd be that many so it kind of bothered me a little not bothered but you know it kind of nagged away at me as i was reading it yeah well okay (laughs) i i can't disagree all right so what have you got for us this week (laughs) dude it was all new X-Men number three, (laughs) Um, which was, was great um, though, because it's primarily with Scott and his murderous band of yahoos. Uh, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. I did like Emma giving them crap. That was fun. <laughs> I did enjoy that. Um, and you're starting to get more of the uh, more information in terms of just what the Phoenix did to them and screwed them up and whatnot. They're losing the ability to control their powers to a certain degree and things like that. So it was kind of interesting to see how it goes. And then I love how magic is just like, are you kidding? This is great. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just it it all leads to that final two page panel uh with scott confronting scott and just the what the hell do you think you're doing i don't think there could have been a better line there Mm -hmm. and so i absolutely love that can't wait to read number four already and you know
1: who was i think it was tom brevoort said he's like you know don't worry about the accelerated shipping schedule because we're getting a lot of these uh marvel now comics in a very small amount of time he's like we wanted to put out a number of some of our top selling comics and then get back to a normal schedule. So enjoy the gift while you have it. Cause right now I we're, we're spoiled for like, we're, oh, yeah. you know, a week or two in between these awesome X-Men stories. Imagine
0: having to wait a month again. Yeah. Well, spoiled but they're also getting a lot more money from doing it this way too i mean you put up a title of this importance and that is this good people are going to be giving you a lot more money per month so and there's the catch it's good though it is worth it so yeah most definitely um the only other one that i will talk about is dr strange season one uh written by greg pack and uh, art by emma rios um did you read this see i I My introductions to the whole season one concept, I
1: didn't like any of the first ones. I didn't like X-Men. I didn't like Spider-Man. So I just kind of been like, eh, whatever. I mean, but I love Greg Pak. I love Doctor Strange. I love Emma Rios, too. I just never quite got around to checking it out.
0: OK, do it. Honestly, pick it up. It was really freaking good. I enjoyed it a lot. Pax writing throughout. Pff, amazing. It was just, the, the the writing throughout is fantastic. Really loved, loved it. And the art, oh my God. Oh, the the art fits this story so well. When you're seeing all these magical energies all over the place and spirits and a variety of different things. The art on the characters, just ripping. And, and the story is really, again, well done. Dialogue, everything packed and did a great job. I really enjoyed this a lot. Good to know. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Alright then, so
1: for this week's new releases from Marvel, we have Age of Apocalypse number 10 Amazing Spider-Man 699.1 which is basically just the prelude issue to the new Morbius series that's being launched. We have Avengers Arena number 1, which I'm actually looking forward to, Avengers Assemble number 10, Cable and X-Force number 1, Dark Avengers number 184 with the new Marvel Now team, even though it's keeping its old numbering, Fantastic Four number 2, Iron Man number 4 my goodness marvel universe versus the avengers number three ultimate x-men number 20 and extreme
0: x-men number 7.1 seriously are the marvel artists even allowed out of the building now are they like <laughs> are they chained to their freaking desks and <laughs> fed yoohoos all day long <laughs> like what's going on <laughs> well it's greg land <laughs>
1: okay well yeah. <laughs> dc it's another death of the family week with issue 15 for batgirl batman batman and robin and suicide squad all tying into death of the family as well as demon knights number 15 did
0: you read the dark knight one because that one came out last week the, the dark that was knight 15 one. that was the one by john lemon oh the detective comics yes oh I yeah sorry my mistake yeah yeah it actually wasn't shall was so <laughs> I, if I, I
1: can't remember if I read it, so uh, let's
0: it was, put it I, that way. Yeah, it was kind of so-so. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in where this is going.
1: Well, okay,
0: well, come on, layman, <laughs> pick it up. Listen, anything after Chew is gonna be yeah, really
1: a letdown. <laughs> I'm just saying, could do better. All right. So anyway, from uh, everybody else, Dark Horse brings us the massive number seven. From IDW, we have Borderlands Origins number two. This issue is following Lilith, which is of great interest to me. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 17 and Transformers Robots in Disguise number 12. And then from Image, we have Clone number two, Point of Impact number three, and Walking Dead number
0: 105.
1: (laughs) Turtles, though. Come on. Yeah, turtles. (laughs) All right. So thanks for listening, everybody. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And we'll see you next week.